My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is my husband, Pat Francis. How you doing, Pat? Good. Could you give me a quick fake laugh? Ha, 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 ha. Perfect. Ha, Thank you. Ha, ha. <laughs> what we were saying before we started, Pat was, was testing the mics, and he said, testing do, the sound, do a yeah. fake laugh, and it sounded like he was saying, I laugh, like I, I fake laugh. But right. I don't. Right. No. Unfortunately, you, you, if I faked laugh, right. would it be that obnoxious sounding? It would be. You much, fake much a lot of stuff, cheerful. but not your laugh. Oh, oh sp- spoken like a man who knows. <laughs> so we're going to move on to our guest. Wait, that's so it for me? Enough information for us. That's yeah, it for me? That is totally it for All right. me. You can um, find me at Pat underscore Francis <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> and uh, take it away. Oh, no. Um, hi, David Reese Snell. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Do you guys need some time to yourselves? We always, you need to work out? No, this okay. really, that's what we have the podcast for. Um, <laughs> David Reese Snell is an actor and a very good friend of ours. And poor David almost forgot about the podcast today because of a plumbing issue that was going on in his house. We called him. We're like, where are you? And it's like, oh, no. So what happened? Um, yeah, the house, just uh, the, the big leak underneath the house. And uh, we became aware of it. Yesterday, and then uh, you know, there was going to be all different times it was going to get fixed, and then it turned out to be fixed this morning, which we didn't expect, which was great. Um, and they left shortly before Pat called to say, "Hey, are you on the way?" <laughs> oh no! So I just I just got in a different headspace, um, and uh, and forgot and forgot, and I feel really bad. I'm no, very sorry. don't don't worry about it. I think it's I think it, it humanizes you, David Reese. Now it's not that it wasn't very important to me. <laughs> Because it is. <laughs> you know what? We've come second banana to, to plumbing before. It's really, it's okay. It's plumbing is no very priority. It's a, it's a priority for everybody. Let me tell you about David Reese Snell. I'm just going to call you David Reese Snell from now on. I'm just going to call you three names like you're a serial killer. Is that all right? Um, that was my goal. Always okay. a goal. Is, all right. Is that because there was a David Snell who is also an actor? He's, yes. Yes, that's uh, true. He's a composer. I he's know. Composer. I looked him up. There is okay. also a David Snell who's a composer. <laughs> Is that the person we meant to have on today? Oh, right. That's the guy without the plumbing <laughs> issue. I, I'll, I'll be happy to talk about his work. There's a David Reese who's an, who's an artist. Remember, get, uh, get Your War On? Oh, so you couldn't go by David Reese couldn't, either. Well, not because of him necessarily, but I couldn't. Yeah, oh, I had wow. to go with all three or I had to change my name. And so I thought, well, I always thought the people with the three names were just very, uh, you know, Officious and well, who do we have? We have, we have, we, we have you know. Philip Michael Thomas from Miami Vice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was something to do with just how how they thought of themselves. I didn't realize it was probably something they had yes. to do, unless they wanted to change their name, which you know, you know, seems very 1950s to do. I didn't like Mike, Michael Douglas uh, had to do that. The second Michael Douglas, who we know as Michael Keaton, right? His there real name go. is Michael Douglas. 
And so he couldn't be Michael Douglas. How do you know all this stuff? Because I know useless information. Really useless. It really comes in handy on the podcast, though. So David Reesnell is best known as stalwart strike team member Ronnie Gard... No, am I saying this right? Gardoki? Gardaki. Gardaki. Ronnie Gardaki. Gardoki is what you can't do when you <laughs> on, have a plumbing problem. <laughs> you can't do a Gardoki. On FX's critically hailed Golden Globe winning drama, The Shield. Actually, uh, you were on, what, 2002 to 2008, right? Whenever it was on, when, I the, was the whole on. thing. Yeah. And he's in like every episode, so but like I had, six. I had never out watched of the Shield. Eighty-nine episodes. I think he's in eighty-three episodes. I hadn't watched the Shield ever, and in my head, I I had a completely different version of it in my head. I thought it was about like this tough but righteous cop, yeah. and I thought it was a procedural. So I never watched it because I'm not that into procedurals. And we started watching it last, last night. night, the first episode <laughs> yeah. of it. We're like. This is great. But see, I knew I knew that it was a bad cop. I I knew the I knew what it was about. I love But she bad was like, cops. "Hey, he's not a good cop." I go, "Huh?" But I am so <laughs> ten years behind. I'm going to be catching up to this show. Wow, and that's like, fantastic. Hey, Ronnie, tell me what's going to happen next. You're going to have to reach back and go. Well, it's we're, 2004. We're going to start watching Seinfeld this I think, week. I think that would be good too. <laughs> but you, but anyway, you're you're known as uh, part of his his strike team. You started off kind of. Uh, as a sort of a minor character and then were you know fully written into the show and a major player by season five right as far as you know as far as i know um and you've also played everything from a fast-talking con artist on leverage a sharpshooting dandy with a secret in the hallmark western desolation canyon to the leader of an international terrorist ring bent on destroying the united states on the unit I'm reading off of your web page. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, whoever whoever wrote it is very you know making very impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's the idea. I think <laughs> David uh, meet me. <laughs> has also worked extensively on stage and even lent his voice to several high-profile video games, which I'd love to talk about. And he also stars alongside Terry Polo in the upcoming. Well, it's not upcoming. Not it's upcoming on. anymore. That's how. That's how, that's uh, how up to date the website old, was. Yeah, tell Rough Diamond Management to update this a little bit. So uh, you starred. Uh, alongside Terry Polo in uh, the supernatural thriller, The Beacon. Um, and also, you were just, well, there's been more, there's been more. There's Hawaii Five-0, there's Last Resort. Um, with Last Resort, you were like you were like the secret baddie, right? I was, you know, it's hard to say what was going to be the case in Last Resort. Because um, it went for one complete season. It went 13 episodes, okay. so it... Um, mini season. Yeah, it could have, they, they kind of gave us, you know, like a mini season, because they canceled us with um, three or four episodes left to do, but they decided to let us do all 13 to finish out the the story, the, to give some sort of button on the story, yeah. and also because they probably didn't have anything quite ready to go yet in our place. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I'm not sure where my character was going to end up going. Um, that's the crazy thing about being on, on a series, is you really just don't know what's going to happen. The actors don't know. I think, I, th I don't know if everybody thinks this, but I thought before working in series television that the actors had more of an idea of what the the general you know the what was what their arc was going to be and maybe when you're the star of the show you have a greater idea but if you're not if you're like the third or fourth or fifth or sixth down you probably don't know well i would also imagine they don't know if the tv series is going to go on so if they write you know toward this five-year arc you know and it, it's going to leave and, and they get canceled after a year, so they still have to have sort of these complete little arcs per season, I would imagine. Yeah, and it's, I think, 
you know, what, what happens is you've got, you, you can only, because you don't know, even let's say if you're on a cable show, well, those shows never get canceled. They're going to make 13 episodes. They're going to air 13 episodes. Uh, a cancellation type situation is you're not going to get picked up for next year. But you don't know if you're going to get picked up for next year. Mm-hmm. So as the writers, it does you no good to focus on anything other than those episodes you know you're going to make. And then once you've made them, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now what do we do? We have this, essentially, this company of actors that we have to use. We've already got them under contract. Now, you could kill somebody off or or lose somebody because they decided they want to have a feature career and you decide to let them out or something like that. But in general, you have these people and then you have the recurring characters and um, and either you've become you know fans of their work or they have fans out in the world or whatever. And you, and you basically go, well, what can we do with these people, <laughs> you know, and how, who, how can we create, you know, depending on the type of show, what kind of drama can we create? Do we bring in a big baddie this year and how does that affect everybody and all that sort of thing? So I think that what's interesting to me is that you have, I mean, you may have, I know on The Shield that Sean Ryan had an idea of what was going to happen at the end, but specifically, no, he didn't specifically know how it was going to end. He just had an idea, you know, he, he knew what he wanted to do in general from the beginning to the end without having any idea of how far off the end was going to be. It turned out to be seven seasons. Could have been three, could have been five. You know, but do you, you know. think as an actor it keeps you more in the moment not to know? I mean, as, as a human being, you can't see into the future. So your character is playing whatever, whatever storyline is happening in the moment. If he knew, if he as the character knew something ahead, I, I don't know, do, does that... Does well, that that's interfere? the theory, and I think a lot of time they don't want to they don't want to tell actors what's going to happen because they don't want it to affect uh, their performance. I, I personally want to know because because what, what what they don't want to have happen is what you as an actor call playing the end. Ah. you know, you know that you're going to to die when you go off to war, so everything has this "I'm about to die" feeling it's beforehand. Like, I'm going <laughs> you, to the bathroom. You, you know. dun, dun, dun. Exactly. So you don't want that. But but when you're aware, like, you know, I've done, when you start off on stage, you always know you have a, a full story. Um, uh, movies, you know what the entire story is. When you get very used to that and you're very aware not to play the end, I, I think that helps you tell the story. I know what the whole story is and my job is to help you tell that story through through my character. Um so I would prefer to know. Now, the truth is, you just don't know. I mean, you have, when, you, when you're starting off in the writer's room, and I'm saying this just from my sort of like one step removed experience, you come up with stories, you're pitching it to the, to the showrunner, and the showrunner is then pitching it to the network or, or the studio. <laughs> you have a lot of process before you're positive what you're going to write, you know. Um, and... And sometimes, in the beginning, well, let's see, I think, uh, well, we're, we're recording this in, in mid-July. Um, all the writers went back to work sometime around the 4th of July for, for the fall shows, maybe even a little bit before. I have a friend who works on Grey's Anatomy, and I know they stayed at the end of finishing their season. They wrote for a couple of more weeks to start Right, you know, breaking the first couple of episodes for next season, so that when they came back, they weren't staring at a blank, you know, dry erase board on the wall. They right. had some idea, but so it'll be another month or so before 
after they start writing that you'll start shooting anything. So you got about you start off about four weeks ahead, maybe six weeks ahead. It depends on what you can wrangle, because the writers would like to have as much time as possible. But by halfway through the season, you're a week ahead, you're two weeks ahead. You know, there there are times uh, where you're getting the script the day of your table read, which is the day before you start shooting and that sort of thing. So, so you just don't, you, you can't reliably tell the actors what's going to happen all the time. And especially when they are um, not the very main character, because you may come up with a better idea, a different idea. And I, I remember being on The Shield early on, I think it was season one or two, and having Glenn Mazzara, who's gone on to, to run... Uh, Walking Dead and a number of uh, of big jobs beyond the shield. Tell me, oh, I've got something really great for you in the next episode. <laughs> and, I, and I get the next episode, and I'm looking at it and going, "What is? What is he? Does he think this is really great for me?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and being in an awkward situation, we're like, "Well, this is something. I don't think this is really great." And finally, saying to Glenn. Hey, was this the thing you were? Oh no, 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 that got blown out. And uh, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, we got something up for us. So I have yeah. a question because he said something that I didn't realize. I know that in sitcoms they do a table read. In one hour drama, you also do a table read. Um, I think most of them do. And uh, you get and so you get the whole script. You just don't get your side. Yeah, your we, pages. We, um, everything that I've involved in, that I've been involved in, we get the. Whole, I've gotten the whole script. And you've done a table read. I've uh, done a table read, and and the guest actors may or may not be able to make it mm-hmm. um, and occasionally the, the you know the, the actors who are on contract do but generally it's at lunch they'll they'll bring a lunch in for everybody mm-hmm. and you sit around and so the writers can can hear it and I, and I think usually you know as a guest actor you're not um, expected to you don't have to do it but it's nice to be able to come in and and, and let the writers hear what what it sounds like and so so even with a now I know with a with a sitcom you would, you would want to hit those um the, the punchlines and all that stuff and have all the, the timing there in the table read. How does that work with a, with a one-hour drama? How, how, how much are you emoting at a table read? Um, well, this is something I think is different on each show, and I think it kind of is a top-down situation. How seriously does the, the, do the stars take it? Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of follows their lead. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's not 100%, but like if you were just listening and closing your eyes especially on The Shield and, mm-hmm. and most of the other shows that I've gone in and, and done table reads for. Some shows don't seem to do them or they don't invite everybody. Okay. Um, but we took it pretty seriously, you know. Uh, I think everybody really believed in the show, believed in the stories and the scripts, and they wanted, you know, they knew that this was the chance for the writers to, to actually have a sense to kind of look at it and mm-hmm. certainly listen to it and realize whether things were working or not. Gotcha. And, and, and come up with ideas they liked a little bit better and we'd always have you know it'd always be a draft post table read That's usually not cool. that different but you know with tweaks i i read a an interesting article written by our friend jen klein because um, i was looking up some stuff on you and i'm like oh here's an article oh it's from jen jen was jen is a mutual friend of ours but she was also a guest on this show yeah, when she we did was on a the YA podcast episode oh uh-huh. so of course when you think ya you think about david snell roles uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. the unit. Um, <laughs> anyway, so she, you had said in that interview that when it came to Ronnie, that you made a decision about the character, and you said that you know, sort of, it was sort of kismet that the writers had also made that decision too, but that you had decided, okay, 
Ronnie is a certain way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some decisions about who he is so that you know how to act him because that wasn't necessarily in the pages because he started off as such a minor role. Yeah, I think, you know, if you would say there were 10, you know, people on the shield that would show up pretty much every week, I was at least ninth or 10th largest role to start with. And... Um, I think I said it probably something like this, but what, what I realized was I'd done a lot of theater and I felt like I was really good at, at script analysis, figuring out the story and figuring out, okay, well, if I'm not the lead of this show, what is the story and how can I, in this minor role or these seven minor roles or whatever I'm playing, help tell this big story? And I felt kind of, kind of satisfied with how good I was at that sort of thing. And then I got to um, episodic storytelling was never-ending story that I didn't know what it was and I just got stuck I didn't know what to do and um, I, I realized that right off the bat with Ronnie I was waiting for someone to tell me who he was <laughs> and what what was going to ha how what was going to happen and how could I decide basically how could I decide who he was to help tell the big story right and I realized I didn't know what the big story was and I wasn't going to know what the big story was. Right. And I realized, oh, in a sense, the actor has to write the character. Um, and what I mean by that is, one, you have to figure out who the person is completely, especially when you're, when you're not – like Vicky Mackey was pretty well – laid out, had a lot of information about who Vic Mackey was. That's that Michael Chiklis. That Michael Chiklis yeah. could, could take, and, and it was just right there. It was in the words. It was in what people said about him. Um, it was in that tight T-shirt he would wear? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> 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 that really made, a, made an impression on you. Dude. It sure did, yeah. Um, but still, there are plenty of things to fill in. And what I realized with, with, with Ronnie, for instance, you know, Ronnie didn't speak in the pilot um, and had very little to say early on. And I realized, oh, if these dribs and drabs are all I'm going to learn about Ronnie over the course of time, I'm never going to know anything about him. And uh, and kind of with the help of Kenny Johnson, who was playing as Lemonhead in the show and had done a lot more television than I had, I realized, oh, I, I, I need to decide who Ronnie is. And if I write this big bio and then they write something next week that completely contradicts my bio, that's not – no one is going to know that but me. But if I really have a great handle on who he is, then my performance will become deeper and, and more interesting. And what ends up happening is when you do that, then the writers start to see what you're doing and that gives them ideas about who you are and they start, you start together going in the same direction generally. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a little bit of a... It's a little bit of a trick as an actor because it's very hard to play yourself, but it's also very hard to play a character very different from you when you're getting the script on a weekly basis and it's getting closer and closer to the day you're starting to, to work each time you get the script. Like Daniel Day-Lewis, um, I don't know who could do what he does besides him, but I don't know that he could do it on television. Because he knows he knows the role he plays in the story, like you said, right? He, he has a lot of time to, to and a lot of um, help, you know. I mean, like, 
on Lincoln, he didn't sit or touch, he didn't sit in or touch or deal with anything that was made post the time that Lincoln was was alive. One day he saw a penny and it it freaked him out. <laughs> he went insane. He was like, "Why is my face on money?" <laughs> Man, he must be a hard guy to live with, right? I know. <laughs> just be like, "Hey, Daniel, the phone is for you." I told you. I don't know. I don't know when he goes back after work. <laughs> what happens? I just know that I have friends who worked on it, um, and that's that's what he did. And 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 Steven Spielberg called him Mr. President, and everybody <laughs> called him Mr. President. And that and and you know, to me, it seems a little silly, but to, uh, on some level, I'm like, "Hey, whatever works." He's Perhaps our greatest actor. If that helps him, then I'm all for it. Would you like, I like to I would call you Mr. President? Just anyway. I, I need to earn that. I okay. would get kicked off the set because I would say, "Mr. President, you have a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a text. Said. You're getting a text. <laughs> Did you say that? What happens? Is it is it the sound These of my work. voice? These don't work. Is it just <laughs> these headphones aren't working today? When I talk, just being just goes to These another place. I'll edit that. Well, out. What I'm saying is, I'll edit what you said out so that I get the joke. What I'm saying is. There's just not an opportunity to do that right. for him, to support him in that way. Not to mention all the time he takes to get into, you know, learning what it means to him to become Lincoln. Um, so what you're you're working so much closer to yourself, right? Um, as an actor in television, and you're trying not to. Yeah. Ju- you can't just play yourself because you know that you would never kick down a door and and you know with drug dealers with armed on the other side. I mean, who would do that? There's just a few guys who would do that. So. If you're just like trying to play yourself, that they have this, there's this, uh, you know, dissonance sure. in your brain. This is no, I'm, I can't be me because me would not do this, you know. Um, so you d- develop, and I've seen actors who, on some level, you think, well, they're the same each time. They're very interesting, but they're the same each time. But they've come up with these elaborate bios for themselves about where they live and what they've done in order to really be that the same each time in some way that makes sense you know um i'm probably not describing no no i know what you mean so if you take like a a personality like jack nicholson yeah right Mm -hmm. who seems to sort of give that kind of cadence to everything and yet we completely believe him in whatever roles he's in so yes he's creating some kind of elaborate world for his character he just does it in a certain style that is all his own yeah. And one might say there's the David Reese Snell style, which is this is what I've I've figured out about you. Right? Uh-oh. You have this thing where everybody you like look like a nice guy. Right? <laughs> and that's your thing, right? You look like a nice guy, so you play evil really well because everybody continually is surprised that underneath it all, right, there's a duplicitous character, right? That's that's your that you started that doing that a lot. I am good at that. Yeah. That is what, what I don't find, although I sometimes will go in for, is the guy who's like rough and tough and evil off the bat. And, uh-huh. I'll, and they'll bring me in for those roles. And, and there's always somebody better for that. Because, you know, there's lots of guys who can, you know, seem like they've do all that sort of thing. And right off the bat, you're like, I'm not a guy who I don't think that you see and you go, oh, I should cross the street. You know? <laughs> Let no, me um, no, but that brings that brings us to subtext. Okay, so if you're a guy who is often sort of the the character who's there's a subtext that's slowly coming through about you. Okay, which is oh, it seems like a nice guy. You seem safe around him. He seems like he's in charge, and then sort of slowly comes the agenda. Right. Um, 
are you ever finding that in the script pages like oh those are the places where the agenda is starting to come through i'm gonna i'm gonna really hit it there or do you start knowing that you do have an agenda do you start sort of crafting that right from the beginning um once again it's like the difference between stage and television again on 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 stage i would definitely uh finally craft my moments where I'm letting a little bit of my agenda out here and a little bit more here and a little bit more here to the shocking point there. And ideally, you go back and you go, oh, if I watch it again, I see all along, you know. Uh, the unfortunate thing for the actor <laughs> is on television, that scene that was in the third act might get shoved up to the first act. Oh, right. So, and it happens a lot. Um, and and when, it's, when it's very procedurally, procedurally, not as much mm-hmm. because you'll you you know there's is that step if, by step if, yeah if, 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 if the story is really all about the case then you can be pretty sure that it's going to proceed like it did when you read it but lots of times they'll they'll decide oh no it's better to put this scene here and and so all that arcing of your character that you did is just a waste um so what i've found is that all you can do is control your moment to moment work and when you get a chance to have multiple takes, try to give yourself the freedom to do it to, to a little bit more out this time. You know, if I'm, what I'm trying to do is hide hide my true feelings about something. Sometimes I, I might a little bit a little more out in one take than in another take. So they have different. So because really the the truth of the matter is on on camera, you're, you're the the actor is not the author of his performance. Someone's going to take your performance and put it together. And all you can do is try not to have any really bad takes that they might use that you would hate them to use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so you just have to have a little bit of trust. You have to be – ideally what you want is to be as honest as you, as you could possibly be in each take so that however they put it together, you're going to be okay with it. But it's really their job to put together your performance ultimately, which is – Something also that I, I feel like I really had to learn. Now, let's talk about the script for a second because you said, you know, you, you felt you were getting pretty good at, at script analysis. Where do you feel like a script can help an actor? Where do you think that it's a good template for an actor? And where do you kind of just go, yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to this? Like, I don't know. Um, the, I, I think. This is going to perhaps sound strange. I feel like, especially with my background and working in theater, where essentially you want to be word perfect every time, um, and you're you're generally feeling like you're 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 serving this author that is not around. Um, that what uh, that I feel like to an extent for for a long time, or or when you go in and you audition for these various things or do these various things, I think sometimes I've. I've been too slavish to the script. The script describes a character in a particular way. I'm like, okay, I'll be that guy. Whether or not I feel very much like that guy or not. And I think what I've, what I've found is that that's not, that's not what I should be doing. There's so many actors in Los Angeles. And really, most of the best actors in the world are here. This is where most of the work in is. In this room, right now, yeah. right here. Yeah. You, the three, I, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah. yeah, Pat Francis. I do have a question about David. script. Well, but he was in the middle of something. I know. I'm just 
putting it there. So okay, we'll, all right. Okay, okay. Well, I'm, okay so I'll let, you fr- I'll let you finish your thought. I'm sorry I interrupted. I'll call, and then I'll call pin- on you. So Thank you. most of the, the best <laughs> actors are in L.A. And, and so, so basically, if, if they're describing a character that is not very close to you, <laughs> he's coming in. That guy they describe will come in for the role. They may not cast that guy because someone may come in playing it closer to them or what, what, what resonates with them, and they go, oh, that works great. And I sometimes think that what they had in their mind the whole time, you write it, you rewrite it, finally you give it to somebody, and they, they have their ideas, and you live with this script, especially if, let's say, it's a pilot for so long that to some extent you've become bored with some of the characters, and when someone comes in with a fresh take on it because they're not that guy... And now you think, oh, what if the guy was more of a surfer guy? So it's almost like like this actor's coming in and doing a little rewrite right there. And if it's the right rewrite, it's like, oh, okay. Really, the rewrite is whatever is what you're like. Because the truth is, once again, you don't have the Daniel Day-Lewis time or probably the talent. And you need to bring it close to you. So the character description helped the reader get it to a certain level that got the producer to sort of, you know, say, yes, let's do it and create this world and this Bible. But then the actor comes in and it's okay sometimes to let that go. I mean, the, the, the I character feel description like was I there for the read. I pay attention to the character description at all. That's interesting. That for me, I think, you know, I'm the kind of people-pleasing person that I, if I pay attention to that, I'm going to try to give you that regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not I'm really capable of it in the 12 or 24 hours that I have before my audition. So what I need to do is completely ignore that and just play the moments. Just play what's there. Now you had a question, Pat. Yeah, my question was, and I think it might have been answered. Um, so in, in a movie, there is always a descriptive paragraph before or whatever, before you meet the character when you're reading a, a movie script. It, was there that like in the shield? Was there a descri- Was there any description of your character, Ronnie? I think they Let said he think. had a hot mustache. <laughs> yeah, it said Ronnie Gardaki mustache. <sighs> yeah, did uh, they? no, no, no. The Ronnie the mustache was all my bad idea, but good idea. <laughs> this is like a porn star mustache. It is a it little was, like a well, porn star you know, mustache. I just was like, you know, I actually I was doing a, I was doing a play. I shaved off, and and my wife Melanie thought I she wanted to see me with just a mustache because she had not, and she thought it was going to look good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I shaved it off. She was gone. I don't know where she went. And I shaved it off. And I was like, "This, this is, looks." It's like Tom Selleck. It's like Tom Selleck. Okay. And I was like, "This would be good for the Shield audition," <laughs> uh, which was called the Barn at that point. Uh-huh. And uh, so I just I kept it. And I really didn't. There was another difference between doing a movie or doing a play and doing the television show. I didn't really think about how long I would have to keep this mustache. <laughs> uh, but it was good because once again, I mean, it wasn't a lot written for Ronnie, and 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 that's how cops looked. You know, cops. I I don't know how many cops I met that had mustaches, and you never saw them on television, mostly because. Uh, everyone really wants to get another job. Do <laughs> <laughs> Melody just look at you? And go. Oh, she's like, yeah. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, well, it's too late. <laughs> so how long did you? Because your character eventually doesn't have the mustache. Yeah, eventually. He goes um, with a George Michael type look. Yeah, yeah. That's that was another thing. Like, who was the toughest singer that I can think of? <laughs> George Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, uh, okay. Well, and then Freddie Mercury has a mustache. So. Oh, right. no. Okay. How do we get here? One or the other. Oh, God. Okay, back, back to writing for a second. So if you're, if you're sort of turning your, turning your back on character description for a second, what is in the script that is helping you out? Let's say that it's an audition, for example. Um, you're looking at it and you're trying to sort of interpret 
what the story is or certain beats or maybe a, an audition is not a good example because the sides are so small but but what is there for for the actor to to follow and keep well, note of i think i'm always looking to see especially an audition is like different from from when you've got the whole thing uh, but what's what's it about you know and how can i edge myself in a direction to make whatever it's about more resonant um um so I'm I'm looking at the overall, uh, not not necessarily plot, but you know, so what is the, what are the what's, themes? What's the theme of this? You know, and how can I deepen this in some way? And how can I even sometimes it's sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's very conscious. Other times it's sort of unconscious. The more I think about the story in general, and then and just you know who have so on some level, let's say, I'm trying to think. Everything that is, like, say, okay, say the character is a policeman. Okay, no problem. I'm not going to ignore that. Um, but, but anything about the, the policeman that does not immediately make me think of me, <laughs> I, I need to forget. Uh-huh. Because what happens is, for me, uh, or what would happen, and what I have to still just make sure that isn't happening, is I start to get a picture in my head of the guy and if that picture doesn't look like me, <laughs> then that's not gonna, that's not good. So, so everything about like okay, so I'm a policeman, and it turns out my partner has been murdered, and um, I'm looking for him. You know, so I start trying to think about well, what would that you know, who would that, what would be most resonant for me? Like who 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 does that mean got murdered to me? My best friend or something? Is it know? me? Was it me? I didn't think about you. Yet. Okay, he said okay. his best friend. Oh. Um, and that sort of thing. So, so everything, really, everything is a, is a help. But, but every time that you know, um, lots of times the writers will write stuff in to break up the the black space on the page, create more white space. So, you know, he nods and he does like all that. I just mark out. I'm not. I'm not going to 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 nod in the right place so that it will be what it does on the page. It's not. That's not going to help me bring any truth to the scene. I see it one time. I know. You know. Uh, that why he would nod there. And if, he, if it says he nods, and I'm like, why is he nodding? You know, then I have to read it a few times and go, oh, I see. I didn't understand. Now I do. Now I know why he's nodding. As soon as I know why he's nodding, then I can cross that out and and fill that with whatever, you know, I, I can bring that's truthful because... Like a, some, a real reaction in the moment. Yeah, some maybe that will be a nod ultimately. Yeah. But right off the bat, if I just try to give the writer slash director slash producer what what they want, then then we're bypassing the truth, and I'm just serving something up that's not going to help. And I just want to clarify to, to to people who are listening: we talk a lot about putting the nods and putting filling the the emotional beats as a guide. And that is what you're saying. Okay, it was a guide for you. You understood that because that nod was there, the intention of that was either acceptance or it's some kind of fake acceptance, you know, with this nod. And now you're going to play that any way that you want. But, but I, it's I, I there know as it's there. a guide. Yes. Yeah. Because the, the script is written to be read and the, and the performance is to be seen. Uh, I need to understand what, what, why it was written. But the reason it was written is not necessarily, you know, sir, I'm sure that everything that a writer has written like that is something somebody might do, you know. Right. But it's a tough thing. It's like you've got to bring it into yourself and process it and then bring it out in a truthful way. And 
what is tricky about all those little descriptions is it's very easy to not get it through and process it and bring it out. It's easy just to get it, turn it around, and give the nod, and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any weight. I think, too, that this also goes with the idea of overwriting, right? If there were a million nods or whatever, you're going to just start going, I'm not paying any attention to this page because it's not a guide. It is over-directing me, right? But if you're really trying to guide somebody emotionally with what's happening in a scene or a story and you have those moments, know that the actor pays attention to them. They may then do it their way, but they're completely going to ignore it if it's just filled with that kind of stuff, don't you think? I think it's, li- I think it's likely, but I think it's only likely because probably everybody ignores it. Mm. Whether you're uh, the first reader or a director or producer after a while, if you, if, if, you, if people start to read a script and feel like, I don't need to read, I, I've read it's, it's 10 pages and I've got a bunch of these things, then yeah. pretty soon you stop reading those things. Right. I don't think the actors are going to be any different. In fact, I think probably the actors will read it more closely and then ignore it. Um, <laughs> All the writers at home are putting their head through the wall. <laughs> but, but really what we're talking about is if you overdo it, everybody's going to skim it. Everybody's just going to. But if you if you have, let's say you have something that speaks to the story every time and then suddenly take a break and there is this sort of emotional beat, it's going to be paid attention to because it's not something that you're overdoing yeah. all the time. And I will say this. I think, uh, um, and I'm, I, I think some writers would be surprised to see how much information is conveyed in just the dialogue, how much I mean, uh, let's take an extreme example like the like the Cohen brothers. The Cohen brothers don't have to direct anybody like, oh, this is the style that we're doing this film in, although the films have lots of different styles. They wrote it that way, and it start it just comes out that way, you know that there are, there are. I'm sure there are some actors that came in and read for the various things, and you're like, whoa, they're just not getting it. But my guess is 85, 90% of the actors, just from the way those words were written, understood everything about what was what was going on. I just did a um, really, really fun um, thing for a show called Eagleheart. Chris Elliott is the star of the show, and it's on, it's on the Cartoon Network. It's... Um, it's part of the Adult Swim, and it's not a cartoon. It's a live-action show. And the thing that I did was kind of a takeoff on the African Queen, and I was a fortune hunter in the, in the, you know, in uh, off in, you know, like on the Amazon. You were we the Humphrey exactly. Bogart character. Yeah, and uh, and it was all written on it. Like at some point, I got very paranoid because uh, I thought people were going to try to steal my fortune, and they were like, <laughs> we, "We got it together," and I'm like, "Like fun we did," you know. So it was all very like 1940s kind of talk. It wasn't. It wasn't just. You know, that, but I got immediately what they were going for. And so then they wanted to make sure that it was contemporary enough that it didn't feel like I was doing a 1940s film, like I was commenting on it. But it was, that was the, what they, there was nothing in the description to tell me anything. It was all in the words. It was just in the words and that sort of of clipped language and that, you know, that, the phrases, like you said, that, yeah. that are used. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's uh, the Eagle Heart is like it's a takeoff of Walker, Te- Texas Ranger. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a uh, U.S. Marshal, right? And uh, I, you know, it's such an absurd, crazy, funny show that that I think it's going to take off on everything in the genre. You know, the idea of Chris Elliott as a as a U.S. Marshal is funny right off the bat. And uh, do you have an air date for that yet? 
I don't know. I think it's sometime going to be sometime in the uh, around midwinter. I think right. or early next year. We'll let us now, know. If people we'll wanted put to it see on the what you're page. what you're doing and what's coming up next. If they went to uh, davidreesnell.com, would that be the place to to go? If I updated that, yes, please update because really here <laughs> I would I am. like to do that. Yeah, yeah. Is there um, is there anywhere else that they can go to find out um, about you? Do you I, tweet? I have a t- I have tweets um, at uh, dr snell. Doctor Snell, yeah, David Reed Snell, Doctor Snell. Because I always ask you for uh, for advice about my health, but you never you never answer my questions, Doctor Snell. I, I, I can't you read my prescriptions? <laughs> I just write you a script. Uh, um, but I, I I don't know. I was thinking about I was thinking about some of the scripts that I read because people ask me to read scripts on a on a you know too often. You know, sometimes. And I think sometimes if I was to give advice to like in general advice to the to the writers, and I think it's from my Ronnie Gardaki kind of you know perspective, but and I think also from from the stage wise is that I think that I sometimes feel like I'm reading scripts where I think well why would an actor want to play this, and I feel like the writer's response to me is well it's the lead, like who do you want to get for this you know like if if um, I'm trying to think of a, who played Al Swearingen on the what's, what is that great actor's name on um, a paddle now if I knew the, if I knew who that character was I might know oh you didn't watch what's the, the show? show which what's one? the okay. show Al Swearinger. Uh, Al Swearingen was on the show was that in the Dakotas uh, the Black Hills what was that uh, what is, oh for goodness sake now I'm losing my is mind. it a smart people show? Because it was an HBO show. Oh, and uh, Deadwood. Deadwood. Oh yeah, we watched Deadwood. Yeah, we watched Deadwood. Yeah, yeah. Al Swearingen, who was um, Ian who was McKellen. Ian McKellen. So if you want Ian, you McKellen, won. Does he win anything for that? That was pretty good. I, I okay. will call on him next time. Maybe, right. I'll, maybe I'll get okay. a free checkup from Doctor Snap. You get Xanax. See who will fill that. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you know, if you want Ian McKellen to play it, then, then I think it, it was helpful to go. Why would Ian McKellen want to do this? What am I writing in here that is sort of worthy of him? What, whatever you, whoever, whatever actors you are excited about and feel fair about, I think I think it might be helpful to sometimes think, oh, you know. And then if I was writing this very small waitress role, who would be a great cameo for this? And what would make this interesting for them to come in and do on that one day? You know what I mean? Rather, than, sometimes I feel like these. That, uh, that I'm reading things are like, let's just get to the next thing, let's get to the next They're thing. They're just these generic characters. Very generic, and there's nothing to play. There's nothing for anyone to grab onto that is not completely made up by the actor out of whole cloth. For the waitress, I would like to vote for never having a waitress say, hi, sweetie, what do you have anymore? <laughs> I'm so sick of that waitress character. But You'd rather have a Melissa McCarthy play that waitress. Uh, well, you know, maybe she could add something to hi, sweetie. Right. But you know, just, just those words. I, I have guess a, that will be our, our podcast on waitresses. Oh, uh, that's David, a good you, idea. Yeah, you told me an anecdote once about, um, uh, what season was Glenn Close on The Shield? Season four? four or five. Four. And you said, and, and this was the difference between making movies and making television. This was really her first time really doing yeah, a show. Yeah, she had like, done some TV movies, but it was. But she know. never did a, a, a one hour. Yeah. And, and you were telling me um, that the. Do you, remember, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't remember exactly what I said. I know that it was, it was a. Uh, she was ready. After one scene, she said, okay, now we're going to shoot the close ups. Yeah, no, now we're done. We're done. And we're, the shield was different. I mean, yeah. I'm not to say that was. Perhaps not as much television as it was The Shield, where okay. we had two two actors, two actors, two two cameras 
they were moving all the time. Okay. And moving in and out all the time. And so she didn't realize that you were not going to get your close-up because traditionally you'd shoot a master, you're uh-huh. going to shoot the overs, you're going to shoot the close-ups, um, and you're going to then turn around and shoot the other person's yeah. you know, close-ups. And uh, she was ready for that, and that wasn't going to happen. There was, there's, a, there's a little bit, like you could, as an actor, get a little lazy when it's not on your close-up, um, and then you know get it together for your close-up. And there are plenty of stories about actors who are great on their close-up, and then when you're, but that was only after you were working with them, and they weren't doing any of that when it was your close-up. Uh-huh. So you feel like, uh, how was I supposed to react to what I, you never did, mm-hmm. you know? But with The Shield... You just had to be on the whole time. All you the time. never knew. You know, like if you become very camera aware. Where is the camera? How can I help? You know. Oh, I've got this piece of evidence that camera should see. If I hold it over here, no one's going to see it. You know. So this little small voice in the back of your brain, hopefully. But, I was, but with the shield, you just never yeah. knew for sure. Oh, am I, they're getting me here. They're getting me there. Yeah. But the cameramen were so deft, so good at it, mm-hmm. and done it so long. They they managed to find moments and create moments that. You would have never gotten traditionally. I would think, now, how can I help out this scene? I know. I'm going to nod. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Pat Branson cam- has a really the big camera be right. Career. The camera would be right here and I would go. That's I, right. I literally had a director say to me once, like, that's good. That's good. You didn't nod there because, I, boy, it's too much nodding. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's talking about on other shows. Like, maybe people will give, you know, like, okay, you're going to go do this and you do that. And guys are nodding. I, and think, like, I think if we've learned something from this episode, it is don't write in the nods. Right. Don't actually do the nods. Mm-hmm. Right. Just no nodding. That's, that's Acting, what we've learned. writing. In between the nuns. In between the nuns. David, I want to thank you for being here. I want to point out another small world thing, which is that um, a a favorite guest, he's become a favorite guest already. Only two weeks ago, we had Paul Guillo on, Mm -hmm. who was uh, one of the producers for Leverage, and he is on a video blog, a production Mm -hmm. blog on on the internet, talking about David's great audition and how he came in and nailed this particular part of Mako who was another sort of nice guy by day shark by night like shark underneath it all and that so, was on leverage that was that oh was I'm sorry leverage. that was on leverage that yeah so leverage. you can actually see one of our guests bragging about another one of our guests and that whole interview is is embedded in an interview by another one of our guests eventually all of LA is going to be on this show man yes Yes. You don't find this interesting? I find this best. I'm not going to be the last one on the show. Though. No. I'm in the middle. No, that's right. So Eventually. so, so thank you, David. Thank you, Pilar. And thank you, Pat. thanks, Pat, for, for producing. Look at me. She, oh, Pat's <laughs> nodding. That was a Pat's good nod. nodding. That was a really good And uh, I just want to uh, remind I'll everybody. I'll that nod. <laughs> Remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv, see what's happening here at the studio. We are finally streaming classes. Even if... The, the classes, the five-week summer classes, even if by the time that you get this podcast, we are in the middle of that session, you can still sign up for it because all of those streaming classes are now recorded for you. So you'll never miss a class. So you will never miss a class, okay? And, uh, and I'm trying to keep it nice and affordable so that everybody can see it and everybody can afford it. And we have to keep track of your wardrobe so that you don't wear the same dress on any of those classes do we yeah we do we have to keep track of it <laughs> okay i'm gonna be your wardrobe person thanks thanks you should, you should my stylist my stylist pet francis yeah. um uh so so uh thank you david thank you pat thank you. i'm gonna sign off okay and i want to remind everybody out there no nodding and have a good writing week 